Ah, greetings. Care for a story? One of heroes and villains? Of swords and sorcery? Of romance and treachery? We'll pull up a chair and have a listen. And welcome to the RPG Show. My name is Brent. I will be your host. And with me today, I have two okay guys. Uh, first up is Nicholas Flower Laser Gander. How are you doing this afternoon? Well, I've got uh, pollen coming out of my nipples, so that's, that's a good feeling. Oh, man. That gets me hard just thinking about it. Uh, Damn right. <laughs> up next, we have Glenn. I think pyrohydras are the Q-list landrum. How's it going? I'm doing just fine, guys. You guys been having a good week so far? Not too bad, not too bad. I guess so. I mean, I called out of work Monday. I didn't do shit. <laughs> yeah, so it's been all right. Life must be great for you. But anyway, uh, today we're going to be talking about Shining Force 2. Uh, Shining Force 2 uh, is a tactical RPG that was released... Uh, Sometime in the 90s. Uh, Glenn has more information on that. It's mostly about a story about some demons and some jewels. It's kind of whatever, but we'll talk about that. Uh, Glenn, tell me what you know about the game. Well, it released back in uh, October 1st, 93, back on the good old Sega Mega Drive. Actually, rather interesting. It's the sixth in the series, but it actually only had the budget of the very first game, uh, Shining in the Darkness. They actually said in a later interview sometime around 2009 that if this game was not a hit, they were done. That was it. No more. Actually, uh, you'll find that's true for a lot of uh, people making RPGs around this time. Like, There's a reason we didn't get Final Fantasy 2 and 3 as 2 and 3 in the States until much later. Because they literally couldn't afford to do translation on it. While these games were a big hit in Japan, uh, supposedly... Um, for some reason, they still weren't making the money they needed to develop these games because I guess just the development time that went into developing these story-driven games on these older consoles was just intense. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a bestseller in Japan, but it took them an entire year, 94, till it came over to North America, and even longer to release in Europe. Do you know how the Americans liked it when it came out? Uh, not too bad. I mean, it got... Semi-mixed reviews just because the gameplay was so different compared to what Western audiences were used to. But, you know, as JRPGs started to proliferate more in North America, it got more and more popular. And now it's kind of like a cult classic. Yeah, I believe um, when I located the game, we were doing research for what games to play for this show. Um, It was in IGN's Top 100. So, I mean, it's after the fact is a uh, highly regarded game. But I believe when it was released, uh, it was actually panned quite harshly. You know, people said the combat was too slow, um, things of the sort. Well, I mean, can you blame them? People are playing like Contra and shit, and then trip over 
to Shining Force 2. I guess, yeah. I mean, that's you got to consider it was on the Sega, and the Sega isn't. While the Sega does have a few good um, role-playing titles on it, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the wealth of them that say the Super Nintendo or the Super Famicom had. So you have to look at it like what other games were on that console. You had like Sonic, which was a faster-paced platformer than Nintendo had. Like Sega was known for like these sort of faster games and it is sort of like a contrast to those games that uh were on that console. Yeah, it I mean in terms of the music and the art style, they generally did like it back then. Um but it was marketed as kind of or not marketed, but it was seen as rather slow and a bit cumbersome. Yeah, okay. I can see that. And uh keep it I'm, I want to keep in mind moving forward that when I look at um these games like I try and keep myself in a mindset for what it must have looked like and felt like at the time now granted our perspectives on things change so you know I am looking back at it so I can only assume so much about the time it came out since I didn't play it when it was a new game because I would have been yet a wee lass and yes, I said last. <sighs> All right. Um, yeah, Nick. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, when Glenn mentioned that it took like a year for it to come over to the states, maybe longer in Europe. That's still kind of how it goes nowadays, anyway. Really? Yeah. For like, hell, even like up until a couple years ago, like you don't get games unless they're kind of like triple A's, like Final Fantasy now. Like, it takes a while for most games to come out of Japan anywhere. That's because, I guess, most places aren't doing translation work at the same time as they're developing the game. So, that that's just doing it into English is kind of a pain in the ass. So, whenever it gets into America, depending on how well it does, is sometimes a determiner before whether, whether or not it goes to Europe. So, that's mostly why a lot of European people have to import games um especially from the United States a lot because more likely than not they're not even going to see it for another year or two and even if they get it it could possibly have a worse translation than what their American version would be yeah because at that point it's generally double translated but let me ask you this as far as translation goes i know this is a little off topic but um do you think that it's fair to say if it took a year in that era and takes a year now i would say that turnover period is relatively faster because there's more to be translated now than there was then well i guess that's also debatable if there was bigger translation teams like glenn was saying this is kind of a niche title so there may not have been a big team for translation they might have only had like one dude doing it uh there was four in the credits yeah i look at the credits whatever Hey, I'm, I was doing my research. They didn't do that give a job. I found like glaring mistakes everywhere too. So. Oh yeah, it's pretty bad. Can we talk about how um, Lemon the Vampire Knight definitely said groovy? Did it, was that the one that fucking I, caught I, that? That's great. Come <laughs> on, you have, you have to do like cultural references in games because sometimes it doesn't get translated over from like Japanese culture to American culture. Like if they made a Japanese culture reference, nobody would understand it. So they have to insert. American crap sometimes, and hence groovy. 
That's my explanation. I'd like to point out that we just have a vampire called Lemon. Just Lemon. And a robot named Zinc, but we'll get on to that. Um, so let's talk about our initial impressions of the game. Like, so for the first, let's say, I don't know, uh, two, three hours of gameplay, what were you thinking, like, at that point? I know, um, Nick, you've played this game before, is that correct? Yes. I played the series, so. Okay, so you're coming in with a lot more experience than me and Glenn as far as, uh, the series goes. So, uh, neither me and Glenn had played it before. So, Glenn, what were you thinking, you know, three, four hours into gameplay? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the tactics-based combat. Um, Storyline, it was fairly generic, you know, demon comes in, da-da-da-da-da. But, I mean, I did enjoy the tactical combat. The art style, I really did enjoy, and the music was pretty good. But, I mean, you know, it was. All right, well, as far as, um, for me, like, tactical combat is my niche genre like like i love tactical based games like so uh i was pleasantly present pleasantly surprised if i could stop biting my tongue it'd be great um that when i got in i wasn't suspecting a tactic based game at all and all of a sudden i have a grid that i can move characters around on and i you know i was sporting a solid chub i was i was in it to win it um now the story was kind of super cheesy and kind of dumb. I was like, oh, more gems and crystals and jewels. Fantastic. Who names demons uh, gizmos? What was that? Like, come on now. You could have come with a better yeah. name for that. And then um, my initial impressions on the music. I Oh, God, that first that first bit. I was so close to just turning it off. Like, I, I couldn't deal with it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are um, 8-bit, 32-bit, 16-bit like uh, music that I like. It's not that type of music that I dislike. It was just super, super high notes, awfully pingy. Like it sounded like I was playing like a Contra or or Sonic game. Like to me, a lot of games on the console sound so much similar, even though they did have a fairly powerful sound chip in there. It's just like they weren't utilizing it the way some of the games on the other uh, systems were. I mean, you can't tell me, though, that that shit didn't get stuck in your head, because it's been stuck in my head ever since I've been playing it. Um, I guess. Uh, you know, the only piece that I really liked out of the game was the final two fights. Like, the that theme I really enjoyed, and some of the overworld theme was good, but forgettable. We move on to the next game, I'm not gonna, I couldn't tell you what it was, to be honest. Like, I couldn't hum the tune now if I wanted to. And I just... I could. And I just beat the final two bosses less than an hour and a half ago. Well, isn't it tradition in JRPGs that like final fights get the best sound music anyway? It is. Uh, it is unfortunate that you don't hear the best shit until the end. So, I mean, that's fair. Which kind of sucks. For... I mean, it did its job. It got you through the fights. It got you. It, it was good background music. Yeah. No. I mean, it was. It wasn't. Um distracting from the game so it wasn't terrible if it was distracting from the my ability to play and enjoy the game then it would have been just flat out bad but since it didn't distract um from the game but to me it didn't it didn't really add anything either i don't know but if i have to listen to that damn town music again ever in my life i might have to shoot myself 
That's that's it plays one. plays in every single town. It's like da na na da na na da na 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 Mike, please, God. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh my God. And let let us talk about uh the inventory system. Can we? Can we? Can I get mad about that for just a second? Like I gotta do my initial impressions. Then we can do oh, that. oh yeah, no, 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 Nick, do your initial impressions. I'm sorry, I skipped you because I'm sorry. That's no, because we got we're getting into it. But uh, anyway, I pretty much had like the same opinion as you know, all the graphics were great, and I really liked the attention to detail that in some of the animations had. Like you don't see many games where like characters are shaking their head on the screen when something weird is going on or whatever. Um, then I I felt the gameplay was kind of intuitive. Like I guess mostly because. I've played it before, so it's kind of biased. And I also play strategy games a lot. So it really wasn't like any kind of hitch in me from the first fight, even controlling the uh, the characters or doing any kind of combat. I will say, though, that I noticed really early on that the AI was kind of shitty and super exploitable and that um, it suffers from that old school, hey, uh, you get an item, but you have no fucking idea what it is. So good luck trying to figure it out. And um, the dialogue was really shitty. Like, even from the beginning of the game, I'm just like, okay, not even going to bother with the dialogue. Obviously, like you all said, the story was super generic and bland, but I kept in mind that back at that time, that was still kind of a new thing. So it really, I I feel like it's kind of forgivable. Um, And then, like I mentioned before, the shitty translations and the fact that Sir Astral, Astral is the worst wizard in the world. Oh, yeah, we can definitely talk about Sir Astral. Like, the most worthless mentor on the face of the planet. Like, throughout the entire game, our hero, Bowie, has no input. Between Astral and Peter, like, he's just told when to breathe and when to shit. Like, he doesn't actually do anything heroic. Swing a sword, cast a spell, that's about it. Save the world. Only days work. Yeah, but, at least in my team, Peter was stronger than Bowie was. Well, yeah, he's the best know, character my, in the my game. Jaha was my hero. Who was your hero? Jaha. Like, he carried me the entire game. Damn. No, Jaha's a beast. One of the be- my favorite moments in the game is... Uh, so basically, the game is divided into four sections. So you got Grand's Island, uh, South... Uh, I can... I, what, how do you Parmesia? pronounce it? Parmesia, then North Parmesia, and then back to Grand's Island. And right when you come off the boat onto South Parmesia, like, he gets thrown through the wall of the ship, and that, for some reason, made me laugh out loud. Like, because I was unprepared for them to actually have, like, a little hole the size of his sprite in the side of the ship. It's that attention to detail, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you that it had a lot of detail, but we've seen, um, by this point in time, We've seen more animations out of sprites on uh, in other games. Now, I found the stuff they did to animate the sprites pretty pretty smart, but at the same time fairly basic. For shaking their head, um, they literally shifted like a like a six by six pixel of their face up and down. So if you watch their hats and their hair, it doesn't move. It's literally they shift that face up and down a few times to make them shake. I know it's great. It is pretty. It's pretty great, and in the worst kind of way, though. Let's be honest. It looks like your face is melting, Astral. Like you're not. And back to Astral. Was I the only one picking up like the perverted old man vibe off of him? Oh yeah, definitely. Like we show up and the monk is skinny dipping, and he's like, "No, 
No, no. She's too beautiful for you. Let me whip my dick out and handle this. You can come back later. You know he was hitting that when she was his pupil before. Come on now. I mean, Chia, man. That's, that's a hot monk right there. I'm, I'm a little surprised half the island didn't have restraining orders on him. I, oh my god, like, um, the battle on the bridge, where he claims he knew that, uh, she was Camila, but I'm calling bullshit. He was like, no, this one's mine. Even the, like, I felt like even though he <clears throat> knew, he wasn't gonna do shit anyway, because, like, when the first demon that popped out, the gizmo, the red gizmo, whatever, at the beginning of the game, he's just, like, he's dancing with it while you're fighting the other gizmos, and then he's like, oh... It ended in a stalemate. Oh, it's getting away. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're like the court wizard or whatever? Get your shit together. He was... Yeah, he just doesn't seem to do anything. He doesn't other than tell me when to kill things. Like, I don't need someone to give me a dialogue cue to know that I'm getting ready to enter combat. If we removed Astral from, like, every point where he's accompanying the hero, the game would have been better. Probably. Maybe like, Bowie would say something. Exactly. If you give the hero dialogue and take it away from Peter and Astral, the game was better. Infinitely better. I yeah. kind of felt like as like if I was like I was playing Bowie and every time Peter opened his mouth, I was like, P- Peter, shut the fuck up. I know. We got this shit. I know. God. Just So oh, I did... mean I was I under... Sorry sorry. I understand at this point in time, we ha- all of our heroes tended to not say anything because you're supposed to put yourself, like the player is supposed to be the hero and everything's supposed to happen sort of around you. But now that we have come to the point where the hero is an integral part in dialogue and character, we get to watch the character grow and just to not to have a hero that doesn't talk when there's plenty of dialogue going on around him is sort of frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it was a thing back then to have the silent protagonist, because you also got to remember, they didn't really, I mean, I'm not super familiar with RPGs at the time, but a branching dialogue tree would have added a lot of complexity that they might just not have been able to do back then. Well, they didn't have to give it a branching dialogue tree. They just make him say things. Like, he could say, it could be the same response every time, as long as the dialogue is coming from the hero, and the hero is, like, I don't know who Bowie is. Who the hell is Bowie supposed to be? He's just a guy. He nodded twice and said, oh no, once. I'm like, that's all I know about the motherfucker. And I'm supposed to be him? Like, please. Well, if you talk to his mom and the people in the town at the beginning of the game, you learn he's the son of a hero. Oh yeah, the, it's supposed to. Uh, so explain the continu- continuity there. Like he's supposed to be like the son of the guy from Shining in the Darkness or whatever. Uh, well, no, originally there's like there's a Gaiden version of the series. There's a Shining Force Gaiden, and um, Max from the first game um, goes and can't remember exactly. I think there's like some witch that uh, him and his party are chasing, um, and him and the robot from the game. I think it's Adam um, go off and try to chase her, but they go missing. So this guy, Ian, um, can't remember where the hell he comes from, but he ends up leading the Shining Force for a while while they go searching for Max and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, eventually, they find out what's going on. I think Max is possessed by the witch or something, or under her control. Um, they save him, and they kill the witch. And then, I guess, he has a kid. 
that's where Bowie comes from. Okay. So let me ask you this. At the end of the game, after you beat the game and you finish the credits before you move on to the uh, bonus fight, which we'll get to much later, um, the witch transforms, right? The one from the main screen, she turns into a younger, more beautiful woman. Is that supposed to be a character we know? Is that supposed to be like Matula or is it just nothing? Uh, I don't know. Because I kind of took it as it's maybe supposed to be Matula because she has the gems on her and like she was trapped in the forest or something. I don't know. And like Matula in the game has like dark black hair and supposed to be like a young woman. So I don't know. It's just like I read into it that that was supposed to be some story point that uh, was relevant, but it was a stretch either way. Um, Yeah. I just looked at the wiki. Yeah, it's Matula. Okay. All right, so I'm glad I picked up on that. Um, so let's talk about some of the, like uh, like the middle portion of the game. Mostly, like, did you have any points uh, in the game that really stood out to you that you thought were like really awesome, especially through uh, Parmesia or whatever that its name was? Well, I just got to ask first: When did y'all promote your dudes? Like, what level? Um, most of them as soon as possible. Um, I knew uh, like Chester didn't get promoted till much later. Um, because I wanted the, uh, the Pegasus wing. Yeah, I went pretty much as soon as possible. Keep in mind, I was not playing with any kind of walkthrough. I was just doing a blind playthrough. So a lot of the secret extra stuff I, I wasn't getting. I missed out on just about every extra character you can get. All right, hold the, hold the phone, hold the phone. All right, you, I, you didn't play with the walkthrough, and I tried to avoid as much as possible, but as soon as I found out that there were special promotion items for special classes, I I, I had to go find out, because that seems like something that can severely hinder your ability to play a game, especially if you don't know how to get special classes. And back in this, this day and age, these things would are, in almost every case, more powerful than the, the other version. Did you not get any Master Monks other than Sheila? Uh, not off the top of my head. Everyone, <gasps> a V1. Oh, oh my god. god. You poor soul. Oh my god. I should have said, Glenn, I got 99 problems and a Vicar ain't one. Yeah, it was uh, pretty brutal at times. Oh my god, Master Monks are also, so amazing. I didn't okay. know about the egress trick. I learned that a bit late. Alright. Oh no. So well, what... I'm sorry, well I was going to ask, because you said which, like, you had high points or whatever in the middle of the game, because my experience is a lot different, because I leveled everybody to level 40 before I did promotions, so my mid-game was hard as fuck, and super tedious. Okay, so explain to me the point of leveling to 40 before promotion. Alright, so, uh, characters in their first classes, uh, which is going to be, I guess, like, a little bit more than half the cast, because everybody you get in North Promethea is already promoted. So they don't matter. Like, if you're shoving them in your party, it's mostly because you either have characters from the first group that you got up to, up until that point in the game who you just didn't use or you didn't level up or you didn't care about them or you like, I guess, for whatever reason, the personality or flavor or the picture of this extra character that you're getting later. Cough, Slade, cough. <clears throat> Slade is a boss. I know. But all right, continue about your, your level 40 thing. Um, so pretty much all of these characters that you get later that are ready to their second class are presumed to have promoted at level 20. So 
If you do not promote your original cast of characters, you can level them up to a max of 40 before you have to promote, and they won't gain any more experience, and they won't level up. And that gives you, in essence, um, 20 more levels of stats for these characters. Okay, so that's assuming you plan on farming or grinding out more levels, essentially. If you have to. Like, you don't necessarily have to. Like, just go and grind. You can keep playing the game. It's going to be a lot harder on yourself than it normally would be. And you, it, and then you can't really grind too much because when I was hitting, like, level 28 with characters, and I'm, like, um like the second or third battle on North Promethea, and, like, I'd be killing things and still getting one experience point off of them. Whereas, I'm assuming if I had promoted, I'd be getting a shit ton more than that at that point in time. Uh, not really. Um, because, uh, like I said, I waited much later to promote Chester, and he was gaining the same experience per kill as he was before promotion. Okay. Um, at least that I noticed. That may have been something else that, or I wasn't paying attention. I could be wrong entirely, but it seemed like he was getting the same amount. Yeah, I'd like to point out for those who don't know, listening to this, there are no random battles in this game. Every yeah, single battle is pre-done. Um, well, yeah, yeah, they're all the same, so they're all hard coded, and you can you can redo a battle without the egress ch- trick. There are tiles that you can step on to trigger battles, especially in the the outside world. Like if you cross that tile again you will encounter the battle again. But it'll still have the same layout, the same monsters, all that. Which, when I found that out the first time, pissed me off. Because I had, like, just traveled across that map. Agreed. And, like, like, I wasn't quick saving when I should have been before I was walking on these tiles. So I'd be like, all right, well, let's go back to where I was before. Bam, battle. I'm like, fuck, there's another ten minutes down the drain. Then yeah. I keep walking. Bam, battle. I'm like, god damn it, these dudes are giving me one experience point. I really don't want to fight them. Can I get out of here? Oh, especially, oh. especially the one in the desert on the way to that cave, because the desert takes so long. Yeah, the desert was probably not my favorite <laughs> in this entire game. That was one of the worst areas. Everywhere with the desert sucks. Oh, like, God. I'm like, I'm cool with the, the defense bonuses, but like, not when it takes me like ten turns to actually move four spaces. Yeah, when my goddamn mounted units take uh four turns to move as much as you know like a regular person on foot like i call bullshit and i know they're not mounted they're centaurs whatever <laughs> but i see horse people i see little people whatever and i'm just they should have had the same they shouldn't have been less than a, a normal person yeah that that was uh... at least you had flyers that could do whatever they wanted yeah, but most of the flyers are fucking worthless. Like, Luke can go just stay somewhere, because he was not good. He's better than Screech, though. Yeah, well, Screech is also terrible. The only flyer I think I used was Peter until I uh, promoted Chester to a Pegasus Knight. Yeah, I was using Luke. The, I didn't use the archers at all. What? I used May. I used May. That was it. Yeah, I used May, and I used... um. Eric for a while, but then I mistakenly promoted him to uh, the brass cannon instead of the sniper because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I I did some 
research. Like, I didn't want to, like, full on, like, see what the best to do with everybody was. And I was like, let's try this out. And I'm like, oh, he's just gaining defense and not any attack. Great. Hey, surprise. If you turn into a sniper, he wouldn't be getting any attack anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. His, uh, his, um, his and his girlfriend Janet's attack ratings, like, they, they level, they have a higher chance of leveling as the brass gunner than they do as sniper. Like, oh. Janet actually has, a, I don't know, I can look it up in, in a bit, but she's got like less than 5% or like less than 50% chance of getting attack up or something as a sniper. And it's like really bad. It's like, that's, you're, you're an attacking class. Why aren't you getting attack stats? And I will tell you, the game, like, up until this point in the game, I, I would, I would do each battle twice. Like, so the first time I got to a new battle with new monsters, I would kill everything but the last thing, egress and do it again, just so I could stay ahead. But the point at which I got Karna in Creed's Mansion, all that ended. I didn't egress a single battle after that. Because boost is the most powerful ability in the entire fucking game. Like, one ability gives you 30 defense and third up to 30 defense and up to 30 agility please yeah but you gotta have high enough stats for that to actually get up that high anyway hey man it was working for me like by the time I fought Zeon it took him 3-4 hits to kill Chester were you aware that boost was gradually decreasing stats every turn uh whose stats well like uh so let's say turn 1 you boost and then, uh, like, you boost Jaha or whatever. And let's say, for example, he's got, like, 50, 50 defense default. Okay. Uh, if you boost him, he'll get, like, 15 or whatever. The first turn, he'll have all that 15. Yeah, it slowly goes down. I was aware of that, but it's still super powerful. I know. Like, I had, uh, I used it on Kazan once, and he took, he tanked an attack by something, and he got hit one damage. I'm like, way to go, boy. Way to go. Oh, that's all Karna did. Like that's all she did was kept boost up, and I didn't. I didn't lose any more people after that point. Like nobody ever died, except for when I fought Zeon because I stopped. I, I stopped. I just wanted to kill him at that point because I had killed all his little friends. And when I sort of saw what his deal was, I'm like, well, I'll just send one person in at a time till they die, and send the next person in until they die, and he'll eventually die. Like. You know, I'm not going to sit in there when he can target seven people at a time or whatever ridiculous range he had. It was much easier to just, you know, let him single uh, single file into him. Yeah. And, all right, so um, King Gallum, the fight before Xeon. Uh, did anyone have any difficulties on that fight? Because, to me, that might have been the easiest fight in the game. I really didn't, uh, honestly. I mean, obviously, I guess from listening to you guys, the Master Monk would have helped me quite a bit, so my healing was a bit behind, but honestly, difficulty-wise, for being basically the second-to-last battle, it wasn't as hard as I'd expect. The tower was a lot worse. Well, I'll talk about the tower in a second, but uh, King Gallum, like, I'm, I think it was four rounds? I beat that in, maybe maybe five, but basically I, I killed the guys on the other side of the block, and I sent Peter up, sort of like to bait some people back, 
And what Gallum did is he came in, attacked Peter, and then charged down, because at that point he was within range of Bowie, so he's going to go attack Bowie. But Bowie was surrounded by all of my dudes. In the very next turn, Gallum died because everyone was just there and just killed him. Nice. I was like, that just happened. Like, I'm not entirely sure if that was intended, but he just got fucked up. No, like once I got everybody level forty and I had passed the fights I was in and I had promoted everybody, like it just got easy because those bonus stats helped that much. And I was just used to like doing battles of attrition with still like I was still using what the hell is that damn weapon called? Like the Achilles sword with fucking Bowie, like for fucking ever. You didn't buy like a like a great sword or anything? You can't when he's still his basic class. Oh, yeah, they can't equip... Oh, that was pissing me off so much with Chester. Yeah, so, like, I'm just using... I'm just using crap weapons. Like, a little past Zalbard's fight. And I'm like, please, God. Please level up faster. Yeah, no, it was... it was. I can only imagine that would have been ridiculous. But, hey, it made sure that uh, Peter and uh, Gur... Gerhalt were the best characters, in my opinion, because they didn't have to worry about weapons. They were just getting, like, two, three fucking attack every level. I'm like, damn straight, bitches. Damn straight. Oh, no. Gerhalt was a beast. Like, he was doing incredible amounts of damage towards the end. So was Peter, for the ma- for that matter. Uh, I would say Peter's more powerful than Gerhalt simply because Peter's defense goes up at a higher rate and he flies. But uh, on the damage front, they were they were pretty equal. But uh, oh, I was gonna say about the brass gunner situation. If you had given him like the running shoes or not the running shoes, I think it was the running shoes or the running pimento, he might have been a little bit better. Um, I pimentoed uh, Gerhalt and somebody else. I don't remember because you get two right. And then you get the uh, running ring? Yeah. Alright, so I'm going to admit to my uh, my Shining Force 2 noob moment. I didn't realize that you had to equip the rings because, I don't know, like they just sat there and there wasn't really an obvious way which to equip them. So it wasn't until almost I returned, no, I was back on Grand's Island before I realized how to equip all the accessories. Did you not notice that the dude that you're getting move plus two to didn't actually have plus two move? Because you don't get the running ring until just before you go back to um, Grand's Island. No, you can get it right as soon as you like uh, get big again. Yeah, as soon as you get big again, um, you get it. But like, I can't remember who I put it on, but it didn't matter because I was I didn't have anybody with low move at that time, so it didn't I di- it didn't register to me. Because I didn't need it for anybody until, um... I needed it for Jaha, because that asshole would not be in the thick of anything. Like, I never used Jaha, because he would always be, like, the last one to move, last one to get in a fight, and I'm like, you were the worst tank, get the fuck out of here. Did you not, did you, did you make him a Baron or a Gladiator? Well, I made him a Baron, and he got better then, but, like... Like, up until that point, I I had to just stop moving everybody else for, like, two turns so that he can get up there. And kill something. Well, yeah. I mean, I had to get uh, put a little work into Jaha. Uh, what was the most difficult fight you guys encountered? 
Mine's going to be a lot different than y'all's. I know, but Glenn, what was the most difficult? Uh, I'm going to have to say the Tower of the Ancients. That one was a pain in the ass. Alright. Um, mine's going to be a little uh, strange, but I think the first one was the most difficult fight. The first fight of the game? Yeah, the first fight of the game. Like, because I didn't I went into it with knowledge of previous strategy games and such. Like, I again, like, the first fight, I was like, oh, this is what this is. And uh, Bowie got fucked up, like, right away. And I was like, okay, all right. He obviously can't just run him, all right? That's a bad plan. And so I had to work out, like, I spent the first battle sort of working out how the AI works. So, like, I may have done that fight like three or four times, and then like after you just egressed every time, or you died. I died. Like, I I worked out like sort of how that was supposed to go, and then after that, I think the next hardest might have been the laser flower one or the prism flower ones, but that's mostly because I didn't try and like avoid being on parallel lines with the flowers. Like, I was just like, fuck it, they're gonna eat it. Yep. I got that... hit by the flowers, like, once before I started figuring out where to move. I had, like, promoted a little bit before that fight, so I was like, oh, god. Alright, uh, give me good one time. second. Uh-oh. So, Glenn, do you have, like, a favorite character? Me? Yeah, Jaha. <laughs> like, just because he was a badass, or, like, just as a, like, you right. like... I, this is the moment that made me like Jaha. The, uh, cave, I don't remember, you're fighting the purple dude goblin type thing for the first time, and it's really dark. Oh, the hobgoblin? And I just lost my head for that fight, and most of my team got taken out. It's me, it's, it's Bowie, Jaha... And Sarah with like four magic points left, and Jaha just soloed the rest of the fight. Nice, just no issue. I get, I can see how that would redeem him for you. Well, not redeem him, but you know, put him in good races. Yeah, like that that one moment, I was like, "Yep, that that's my main dude." And as you were talking, like he is slow. I'll give you that. But my general tactic was to actually send my range guys in first and. Semi kite, like you can't really kite in this game very well, but they would work on it and bring them back to Jaha instead of trying to move Jaha up. Wow, that seems like a really convoluted strategy. I never tried to work my way back across the battlefield. Yeah, that seems like kind of productive to me. It worked. Eh. I mean, I, I have to say, for a tactics game, this didn't really involve that much in the way of tactics. In terms of, like, there wasn't any flanking or anything like that. So, I mean, just about anything worked. Uh, there tons of fun. My dudes were getting flanked left and right, getting crushed. I'm like, god damn. Yeah, well, uh, let's, let's, uh, sort out what difficulty we played the game on. Um, I, I don't know what it was called because I did it awfully fast, but because I just went down to the next one below, like, whatever the initial one was. So whatever did that, okay, then that's what I played it on. It was like normal, hard, super, and an ouch, I okay. think. Yeah, I played on normal, assuming it would be the middle option, because I just went like like Brent, I went fast. And uh, yeah, apparently that's easy, so whatever. Yeah, I did ouch. 
All right. It was it was ouch. It was ouch. It wasn't like I don't know. I haven't played the other difficulties, so I can't really say. But apparently, on super, um, like the way it works is normal. It's like yeah, everything's normal. Hard is the AI is a little bit better. On super, the enemy stats get multiplied by like twenty five percent, so they have a boost to their stats, and the AI is a little bit better. Apparently, an ouch. The only real difference is that the AI is supposed to be like the best it can be. I remember reading somewhere, like, the higher you get in the difficulties, the more likely they are to ignore other characters and go straight for Bowie. Um, well, I will say that in my experience, strange things happened often. Like, um, instead of preferring a weak target, the AI really, really disliked uh, Chester. The AI really disliked Jaha. And on occasion, the AI just had it out for Slade. Oh my. They, they did not really attack Bowie unless like there was really no other option and they didn't really attack any of the mages um or like any of the ranged characters unless they were an option. Like like there was one time I was surrounding this monster and like I had made a hole in it because I was like I was doing one of those things or I was hoping to God that one of my weak characters would get to go before it so they could kill it. And like of course they never did. So the monster like walked out and like walked right past a couple of my mages then went straight up to Jaha and it was like Ting, one damage. I'm like, well then, okay. Yeah, one thing I, w- I really do wish, in, in addition to the inventory problem, which I don't think we've covered yet, a turn order would have been nice. Uh, those are modern features, my friend. I know, but it would have been nice. I do agree. There's. I also would have enjoyed like some type of, like, mm, like some way to minimize, I guess, like the screen a little bit, because it was so hard to see, like on big maps, like having to like press cancel so I could scope the map out, go back in, pick the character that I wanted to move with, have to like shit. Where was that monster at again? Cancel, scope out the map, come back, pick the character, move. Then like, I guess also. A thing I would appreciate is like a way to cycle through the enemy list, unless I just totally missed that because I was clicking on each enemy each time I needed to see what they had. Yeah, I, I will say one of my new moments. It took me probably three quarters of the game to realize you could actually scope out the entire map. Oh wow! No, I use that frequent and often. But my my biggest pet peeve across the game would have to be the inventory system and the way you manage which character has what item. Like, just give me, like, a, a universal inventory. Like, each character only being able to carry four items is the most painstaking process, especially when you're trying to keep restoration items on everybody, and then you want to get a new weapon, and you just, it's way too many steps. I just wish I knew what all of the items did. Like, coming from Final Fantasy, you know, with the Phoenix down, I saw Angel Wings, I'm like, oh, maybe that's a revive. No, <laughs> No. Who needs Phoenix Downs when you have a Phoenix? That was that was also something that made Peter overpowered. If he died in combat, you didn't have to worry about going to get him rest. He's just back. Yeah. So I, Um I didn't actually have that big of a deal with the item management. Well, good for you. Like I never really used items, so I just like every I originally had like medical herbs, like one on everybody. Then when they reached a HP cap high enough to 
not need those anymore because they sucked. Like, not, a, not that I used any anyway. Like, I've got a real big problem in RPGs with item management. Like, I will not use an item unless it is the last resort. Like, if I can think of some way to get out of a situation without having to use an item, I will not use the item. So, like, I'm just, like, I'm at the end of the game, like, stashed full of shit that I probably should have used to save some characters early on, but it, I'm at the end of the game. It doesn't matter. See, I'm... opposite. Unless I know I need an item later on, and since I'm not using a walkthrough in this game, I didn't. I just threw items around left and right. Well, see, I'm generally, I'm like a combination of the both. Like, I tend not to use items unless I have to, or I know, like, there's one item that's going to work really well for a situation. But my paranoia also makes me want to make sure I have as many healing items available as possible. Like, because I've run into situations in RPGs before where they have been the last resort, and I didn't have any because I didn't put any on characters or whatever the problem is. So it's it's just a neuroses of mine that I have to have one or two healing items on every character. And when you only got four fucking item slots and you want to have them to have a weapon and a ring, or in the case of uh, your your knights, two weapons, because let me tell you, you should definitely carry a spear and uh, oh, a javelin and uh, what's the other one? Lance. A lance at the same time, because if you don't, you're stupid. Until you get the mithril weapons. Now, uh, give me a breakdown on the mithril weapons, Nick. How, how does that work? Uh, well, what do you mean, like the way that you get them? Yeah, go ahead and explain mithril weapons to people that don't know. Okay, uh, mithril weapons for those of you that are uninformed um, are a pretty much equivalent to like ultimate weapons. Um, for this game, the only way to get them would be to find mithril um, scattered around the game. And unless you're using a guide, um, the chances of you finding all of them is pretty much slim to none. Like, unless you, like, um, are crazy about it and, like, literally investigate every single tile, there's more likely than not you're not going to find the majority of them. But, um, anyway, once you get at least one piece. You can, if you get the dry stone, you can go to the dwarf town, which is like hidden in some river. Um, and there, one of the dudes will make you a mithril weapon. And it's kind of like a roulette system where you don't know what you're getting until you get it. So it's definitely recommended that you save before you give the dude the mithril. Um, cause if you don't like what you get, you're pretty much screwed unless you have a way to go back. Yeah, so basically what happens is you find this Dwarven Town, and let me tell you, there's two hidden towns in this game. You have the Elven Town and the Dwarven Town, neither of which are really hidden. The only one I would consider hidden is the Dwarven Town, because you actually do need to find a relatively hidden item to find it. But the Elf Town, like, that patch of forest is obviously a different color, so please. But uh, the Dwarven, uh, the Dwarven Town, you go in there and there's a blacksmith, and you turn over a piece of mithril and he he agrees to make a weapon for you for 5,000 gold, which is kind of pricey, but it really not pricey if you've done any fight more than once. You have that amount of gold on you. Um, and it is, yeah, save before you give him the mithril. Not, like, don't go give him the mithril, then go save, then go outside, then come back in and check it, and then load if it's not right, because I think the game decides once you've turned over the mithril. Yeah. So basically the way you activate it is you give him the mithril, you run out of town, run back in town, run back to him, 
and turn it in. And I will tell you, I got good at running that path. I could do it blindfolded before I got all the weapons I wanted. <coughs> because... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, um, the, there... <sighs> There are multiple weapons for each class. Um, you have a few, a few fist weapons. You have a few stabs, um, a few javelins, a lot of swords, uh, and a couple axes. So you can really, if you want to try and get some of the mithril weapons, I would look them up because there are going to be guys that tell you this is the best, this is the best. But there are some unique utility on some of them. Like for instance, we talked about Jaha not being on move very fast. There's an item called a ground axe. I believe it's what it's called, that you make yeah. with Mithril. Now, it's only less than the, uh, what is the other one? Shoot. I forget what it's called, but there is an axe that has, it's got like two more points the of rune attack. Rune axe. Rune axe. It's only got like two more points of attack on it. But the ground axe gives him plus one move. So, for some, some people may think that's better. Um, then you have, uh, for knights, Generally, the best one's going to be the Misty Javelin because it has the highest and it's a thrown weapon, so um, muy bueno. Now, for Slade, you promote him to a ninja. He can get an item called Geese Arm. Am I correct? Uh, I guess that's how you pronounce it. All right. I say Geese Arm. Geese Arm. All right, I'll say Geese Arm because Nick's probably better names than I am. Um, and what this weapon does is there's a chance to insta-kill on attack. And I will tell you, it's fucking sexy. The thing, though, is like any kind of random number generation, it's not on your side. So you'll go to hit uh, a monster just to finish it off that's got like 2 HP, and it's like, oh, insta-kill animation. You're like, okay. Yeah. Are you sitting there right now? Geese arm cut its head off. Thanks. Thanks. It had 2 health. Awesome. There, I will tell you, I went 2 for 2 for Pyrohydras on the last map with geese arm like he ran up to one of them insta shot it next turn ran up to the next one insta shot it i was like nice so i mean that is a negative if you look at it from the aspect of like you're not going to get you're not going to get as much experience out of that monster as you would but come on it's a one shot it's pretty rad he's a ninja and can we talk about how like uh, the only rat character in the game becomes a ninja like Watch uh, much Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Like, come on. Well, I mean, it's a kind of a given because they they portray him as a thief at the beginning of the game, and it kind of goes with like a rat archetype. Yeah, they slink around, do shit. So, I mean, if you're gonna give a promotion, a promotion, I don't really see what else you could do besides ninja. Yeah, Final Fantasy kind of did that. I guess. Um. Can we talk, like, the whole thing was Slade's fault. Like, if he didn't have to be such a little fucking scoundrel, none of this would have ever happened. We all lived happily yeah. ever after. Well, yeah, but, like, if Slade had, uh, hadn't done that, but we would not have gotten the girl. Okay. Alright, let's talk about this. How the hell is he her true love if they don't even know each other? Yeah, they share, like, four lines of dialogue. Because he's the ultimate badass. Like, he's just like, I just saved the world. Come here, baby. And she's spitting. Like, I guess. Like, she's just like, oh, I've been in a coma for the last two years. I guess I have to love you now. Like, uh, that was such a cop-out. It's like... They're both blonde, too, so it's kind of meant to be. Why? Master Race and all that. 
like every town only has five people, so like they're probably related. They're both blonde. They're like five people in this town, so they're probably related. Let's be let's be honest. But hey, that's the royalty thing you got to do, all right? I guess you got to serve the bloodline. You got to keep that bloodline pure. But uh, man, the end. Let's talk about the end. To me, they didn't have to put her in a coma. Like, they could have just ended it there. They'd have really been happy. Matilda closed the thing off, destroyed the valley, and, alright, if she destroyed the valley, how are we back in the original Grand Sea? It's a game, dude. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just, you gotta kind of accept it and move on. I can't accept it. That's a big loophole to me. It's like, because when I came to, I'm like, oh, I'm back in town. I wonder if it's new Grand Seal or old Grand Seal, because it shouldn't be its old Grand Seal. How is this old Grand Seal? She said it's going to destroy the entire valley. Why? Just, you had a perfectly good town. You built it in five minutes. Like, it was obviously meant to last. You built an entire town from a ship. Yeah. Because that's impressive. Like, I want to know who did the math on that one. That's some quality recycling. Like those engineers, man. Even with Jaha breaking boards and shit. And I felt so bad for Jaha at the end because they're like, they're trying to choose who gets to kiss the princess. And I'm like, this is rather, uh, sovereignistic, you know, like a bunch of dudes sitting around talking about who gets to go upstairs and kiss the girl who's asleep and has no control over it. That's not rapey at all. But okay, let's just, let's, throw uh, romantic storytelling into it. It's it's destined. It's to savor or whatever. Um, Jaha's like, but but I love her. Cause how about me? Anybody? Anybody me? And everybody's like, no, bro. Uh, she's a human. Let's keep it human. It's like, that's that's racist. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. And then so out of nowhere, apparently uh, Sarah loves like. They try and throw all this character development in in the last five minutes of the game. And it's like, alright, so apparently Sarah is in love with Bowie, which if you want to assume this game has every trope of uh, RPG storytelling, then sure. It's obvious from the get-go that she loves him, but they'd never say it. And so, she storms off. And then Kazan's like, well, I'll go talk to her. And Chester's like, well, I'll come with you. And he's like, no. She needs someone like me. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, Chester's dumb. Alright, she, she needs somebody kind of intelligent. Chester's like, a nice guy. Like, he, he has a lot of health. He's also a horse, man. Hey, hung like a horse, right? Didn't, didn't we just establish that there's no, like, cross-speciesism going on? Well, I mean, obviously there has to be if he's a horse, man. I didn't see any... Were there any horse women? May. May. That's right. That's right. Damn, I even used her too. How the hell I forget about that? <laughs> nice. That was smooth, Nick. Um, all right. We Look, spent... she wasn't the best. All right. She was okay. Like I liked her animation, like the uh, the green lines of energy or whatever it was. That was pretty cool looking. I digged a lot of those uh, pre-rendered backgrounds across, like when you got the animation. When two units uh, went to went to fight, and it you, you had one unit come to the right, another unit comes to the left, and you had that panorama in the background. A lot of this is really cool looking. My yeah, 
My favorite being when you fought Oddler. That one was crazy cool looking. Oh, so did y'all like expect that to happen? Oh god, yes. Please. Yeah, the story's fairly linear and predictable. I mean, it was cool because it was like the kid's name is Odd Eye. And um, so if they hadn't mentioned Oddler before that point, then I wouldn't have I would have seen something coming with Odd Eye. Maybe not that, but the fact that they've used the name Oddler before you meet Odd Eye and after you meet Odd Eye, the chances of there like there being a connection there are pretty strong. You have Odd Eye and a character named Oddler. Yeah, I mean, it's not really... They weren't really trying to hide it, I guess. No. And then he stays at Creed's mansion, and I'm like, he's a demon. And for all this talk about demons being evil and evil being evil in this game, there were awful lot of helpful demons, and the evil spirit is trying to help you. I don't understand why is it the evil spirit. Uh, I don't know. Possible translation error. I think I read somewhere that he's a major demon from one of the other Shining games, um, who's like a rival or something. So it's not supposed to be him helping you out of the goodness of his heart. It's him trying to take down another rival. Okay, I guess I can look at it that way and accept that as terrible storytelling. <laughs> It's not like he matters if he dies, like, in two seconds. I know, and I never really felt a sense of urgency or that anything was in actual danger throughout the game because you didn't you didn't see a bunch of demon madness until the end, and the big fight uh, with Vulcanon, you don't even, you're not even there for that, so you don't see it. Yeah, like the whole South Prometheus is like kind of cool. Like, what's going on? Like, there's oh, nothing going on there. There's demons somewhere. That's bad. We should probably take care of that. So, I mean, it is what it is. I enjoyed it. So let's um let's 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 quantify this discussion. So we we were just kind of rambling along, rambling through the game long enough. Uh, now we're gonna give it each gonna give it uh, a series of four ratings. One for gameplay, one for story, one for aesthetics, and then an overall. Okay, um, so let's start with aesthetics. Uh, Glenn, what's your rating for aesthetics? Out of five, I've actually got to give it a four. The backgrounds were very well done. I like the character design. Just aesthetically, excellent. All right, Nick. Uh... How about you? What do you think of the aesthetics of the game? So, as far as you know, the visuals and the music, like the sensory sort of over, uh, portion of the game. Uh, I actually also gave it a four. Like, um, like Lynn said, the uh, animations, the sprite work, everything was pretty good. Like y'all were saying, the panoramas and everything in the background, pretty great. Um, like even the overworld stuff didn't look too bad. Like I've seen worse. Um, now the music, there's hit and miss, like we established earlier, and. I personally found a lot of it catchy, even to my disappointment sometimes. But like, uh, like it could have been better, but not too much, I guess, for the time that it was made. All right, all right. Um, I gave it a three. 
mostly because I like a lot of the visuals, but I wasn't a fan of any of the sound effects or or music. The music was okay, but forgettable, and the a lot of the visuals were pretty generic, except for of course like the the character little portraits and the panoramas. Like aside from those things were spectacular, but you know your typical sort of sprite work. They weren't doing anything incredibly interesting with sprites. Uh, you know, like they didn't even bother to um, shrink the sprites for when they laid down. Like so they seemed really out of proportion for the rest of the tiles whenever they were supposed to be laid out. Uh, some of the stuff sort like that we've, you see done better in the same um, era. So I gave it a three. I mean, it's not bad. It's middle of the road. Okay. So let's talk about story then. Glenn, uh, what'd you give it for story? I have to give it a two on the story just because it is so incredibly linear and, generic. Alright, Nick, what do you say about the story? I gave it a 3. I thought it was kind of average. Like, uh, from memory, compared to other games I played at the same time, like, it was an average storyline. Nothing really gripping, but there are worse. So, average. Alright. I gave the story a 2. Because there was... There was no story. Uh, there was some background to a world that you kind of got the gist of. It was as simple as you have an evil gem and a good gem, and there's a demon coming back, and we got to stop it. Um, there were, and I had a I had a real hard problem with the hero not participating in the story. He was told everything to do, even till the end when everything's coming down around you. Peter has to say, Medulla said, "Let's get out of here," and. Astral has to tell him to pick up the princess and carry her out. It's if you, he's a hero, he's already got her, and he's on his way out of there. He's not standing around like, oh yeah, I should probably do that. So it just I had problems with that. All right, um, gameplay, Glenn, what'd you give for gameplay? Um, at right now I'm giving it a two, mostly just because I didn't find a lot of stuff. I'm thinking though, had I known about a lot of the other factions and stuff like that, I probably would have given it a bit higher. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, older RPGs, is they're not going to give you too much information. So there's a lot of extra extracurricular looking you have to do. And so that's where modern games, we get we get to explore these big worlds. And you can consider before the internet, there was like having four or five missable characters and items that you could only find by looking at a tree from a weird angle really gave this game a sense of depth at the time. So um, I think that was actually pretty cool. All right, Nick, what'd you give it for gameplay? Four out of five. Um, I gave it that because I thought the gameplay was solid. Like I, I didn't have any problems with the, like the combat. Um, the gameplay was like not faulting in any way for like the way you explore the map, the way that, um, I felt that the damage formulas and everything in combat were kind of well balanced. Um, the only issue I really had was like enemy scaling. I felt like it possibly scaled a bit too high, um, too quickly sometimes. But also, I guess that's also because I didn't really promote like I should have, like everybody else did. But um, there's some faults in the gameplay as well, but I didn't feel like they marred the experience for me personally. 
Alrighty. I also gave it a four in gameplay. Uh, tactical strategy games, I love them. I can't get enough of them. I thought everything was also really well balanced, with the only exception being uh, spells, particularly healing and damaging spells. It felt like when you got a new one, it was super overpowered and then fell off real quick. So characters like Kaizen or um, even your healers, like some of the healing spells, felt rather lackluster for a long time until you had either the mana to cast them a lot or you got, once you got like aura three or four or whatever it is, it's like, okay, game over, right? But, you know, the fact that your first three stages of heals on Sarah or first two stages of heal on Sarah only heal for 15 HP at eh, 18 at most. So it was kind of, I wish there was some better scaling there, but as far as enemy difficulty, I thought everything was pretty much in line. If I if I had went battle to battle without doing any extra battles, it would have stayed pretty darn challenging all the way through. Alright, um, give me... Now we're going to give our overall scores and a quick little um, recap of our total feelings on the game. Alright, uh, Glenn, what would you give it for your overall? Overall, I'm actually going to give it a three. Um... I mean, it's it's not a bad game. It really isn't. It's just, in terms of JRPGs, kind of average. All right. Nick, your overall. Um, I'm going to do two, because uh, having had played it at release, um, I gave, when, I remember from when I was a kid, the shit was cash. And it, at, when it was released, I would have given it a five out of five. Nowadays, looking back, um, and seeing at like what it like i guess without nostalgia goggles so much i would do maybe like three and a half to four um like i felt like it's a good experience but i could see how it could be not so much of a good experience for a lot of people like if you really appreciate the niche you're gonna like it but if you don't then you might want to stay away all right all right my overall is also a three. I'm with Glenn. I, I, while I loved how the game played, it makes me want, and it makes me want more, but makes me want more out of this game. While I'm super excited to play other titles in the Shining series, um, I'm also afraid that each one will leave me feeling a bit um, left out. Like, like there could have been so much more there. So. Um, yeah, that's basically how I feel about it. Let's see. All right, uh, before we get out of here, uh, did you have any last bit, uh, any tips or advice, any um, advanced tricks or cheats that you would like to share with the listeners there, Nick? Um, I think we kind of said a lot of them, like the egress trick, um, repeating battles. Um, obviously promoting dudes, maybe not at 20, you can probably give it to like 25, you might be good, just for a little extra boost. Um, also, general advice for promotions, don't ever make a Vicar, don't ever, just no good, get Master Monks, uh, Master Monks if you can. Um, if you're gonna go use Kazan, he's probably better off as a sorcerer than a wizard, um, but you could, if you use Tywin, you like him better. He's equally as efficient, probably even more so, because he gets his spells one level earlier than Sorcerer Cods and Wood. Um, but if you keep him as a wizard, he does get the three elemental damage spells. 
Um, so he's got a better spell selection as a wizard than Kazan would have um, would have as a wizard. Um, and generally, Eric, the knight, is best regarded as the best knight. So if you're going to use one and you only have one to use, even if you don't like him too much, he's probably your best bet. Um, that's uh, really all I got. I mean, there's cheat codes, but I don't oh, really... Yeah, don't do that. Don't cheat. Um, there are some missable characters. I'm going to go over those real quick. Uh, first, the first missable character is Kiwi. Um, you have to talk to him in the, is it, uh, it's, a, there's a building in the first town. You have to talk to him and then talk to him before uh, you leave. When you're fleeing the town, talk to him there. Um, May, uh, she's pretty visible. You just make sure you talk to her each time you see her and you'll get her. Uh, you have one of the easiest characters to miss is actually probably, probably Screech, um, and Claude, but I'll do Screech first. Uh, Screech, when you are in the bird town, there is a bird with its mother on a ledge. You walk out on the ledge. The bird pretends to fly and falls to the, like, or starts flying around. And if you go down to the base level and go out from where you walk in between some bushes, he'll fall on your head. He will join you later on in the game once he's grown up. Um, when you are in Creed's mansion, after you fight the chess battle and you're on your way out, you get to choose between four... Uh, is it three characters? Four characters. You four. Have, you have Eric, Karna, Randolph, and uh, Tyron. I advise that you take Karna. Uh, she's extremely powerful, especially if you make her a, a, a master monk, but Eric's also available there. Randolph makes a decent gladiator, and Tyron a decent uh, wizard. But the choice is yours. The other three you can get before you head back to Grand's Island after you have uncovered the Nazca ship. Head back down to his mansion, and the three of them will join your battle after you find out a little about what's going on with Adai and Creed. Um, another missable character is Claude. I think he's. Uh, you have Claude. I think Chad is Chaz missable. I don't think Chaz is missable. Um, you just have to go get him. Like he's not really out in the open because you have to mess with the organ or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Claude. You there is a. Sp- Item spawn, am I correct, outside of... Shit, what's that town's name? I'm pulling up a note here. M-O-U-N, Moan, or something like that. Okay. Moan is how I always pronounce it. Um, Mon. Yeah, there, Mon. Uh, there is a item spawn out there that's his arm, basically. And there is a tunnel that allows you to travel back and forth between uh, Grand's Island and Parmesia. So you can get those mithril you missed after you've unlocked the Dorvan town. Uh, he's in there. If you find his arm and give it to him, he'll join your party. I'm not too impressed with him as a character. He's a super slow move. Um, you would have to dump all sorts of stuff on him to make him remotely usable. He is way better than Kiwi, though. Yeah, don't use Kiwi. Like, you can just leave Kiwi. Just peace. Yeah, don't use Kiwi. You can also miss Rick in the town of Hassan if you don't talk to him. Well, I mean, don't really miss him. He's just kind of there hanging around. Okay. Like, oh, really? It's like me. Oh, okay. All right. I just, he just, I always thought he was just part of the deal. Um, Is he? I, don't, I talked to him before I left, so he might join automatically, but. Um. I don't know. I was like, oh, there's a dude standing here. I will talk to him. He's like, oh, hey, what's up? Where'd you find that awesome caravan thing? I like ancient stuff. Let me come too. And I'm like, dude, we're about to fight some demons. Are you sure you want this? He's like, you got some ancient shit around? Let's do it. I'm like, uh, all right, buddy. All right, all right. Um, 
there are a few easily missable um, promotion items. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, but there are two in particular that are super easy to miss if you're not in the habit of checking. Like, because if you're in the habit of checking bases and bookshelves, you'll find the other ones. But first is the Pegasus Wing. Um, once you're in pa- uh, Pakalon Castle, there's sort of like this blue carpet in the throne room. Um, if you walk down like the right edge of the carpet until you're facing the the wall almost out to the outer wall of the castle, you click and then you search. You'll find that there, and that's to upgrade uh, knights to Pegasus knights, and that's pretty awesome. Like I recommend using that item, giving them flight. Um, paladins are cool, but come on, Pegasus knight. Let's be real. Um, the other is the, both the Vigor Balls are sort of difficult to find. Um, the first Vigor Ball is in the Elven Town, and this is the item that you use to upgrade your priests to Master Monks, so you don't have to use the Terrible Vickers. Uh, Master Monks, they have inc- great, um, attack, and they can still cast healing spells, like, they're probably one of the more powerful classes in the game. Um, the first one is in the Elven Town. There's a chest in the top left corner. Uh, it's underneath some trees. You'll have to do some finagling to get up there, but you'll find it if you know that you got to look up in, up in that corner under some trees. The other one is a bit harder. This one took me a while to find. It's at uh, Sheila's Dojo. Okay, and finding your way around her dojo can be trivial difficult because you got to work your way around bushes and trees and stuff. Um, if you just go straight down from the pool in which she's skinny dipping, uh, there is a tree standing sort of by itself. If you look to the side of it, you do that search function again, you'll find it there. And again, it's a vigor ball. Master monks, do it. Don't play vigors. All right, that's a bad idea. Uh, I'm trying to think if we have anything else we want to cover, guys. Anything you want to uh, talk about? Not off the top of my head. All right, then. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, let's talk about uh, sort of the show format moving forward. We look to do a show every two weeks with a review show just about every month. Uh, obviously, there are going to be some games that take longer than that to beat. I am allocating an hour a day for games. So if we look at a game that's going to be more than, say, 35 hours, we have to look into possibly breaking that show up into two pieces or pushing it back until we beat the game. And what we're going to do here is each game we play, we're going to, the host will take turns choosing a game. I chose Shining Force 2 because I've seen the Shining Force series recommended to me more than once. The random number generator chose it, and we played it. Uh, next to choose a game is Glenn, and Glenn has made his choice. What game have you chose, Glenn? Use one. I think we decided to play uh, use one and two because they're always bundled together. They're relatively short games. We're gonna um, pair those those games down into one show and just consider them one game um, for all intents and purposes. Uh, any comments on that, Nick? Or you have you you've played the game before, right? Um, not the first two. I don't believe I've played like everything that's come out since like two thousands. Okay, like Arc of the Pishtim, the Oath of Fulgana, um, six, 
seven or is it seven? Oh, maybe not six. It's not a numbered one. Like seven, the new one that came out, the uh, Memories of Salsetta or whatever. I think for the Vita. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I like them. They're great games, in my opinion. All right, so you get a better look at where they came from. Now we are going to be playing. What version did we decide on for? It's the Steam version, but it's uh, it's Chronicles Plus. It's got extras. Chronicles Plus, because it's got extras. It's really hard to find the originals, any sort of original versions of those games. And since the new versions, they're a bit updated. It's still the same story. It's almost entirely the same game with a few extras. So we feel comfortable playing that game and reviewing it for that. Uh, if you like the, if you like the show and you want to join in the conversation, there's a few ways you can do so. Uh, we have a website that's therpgshow.com. You can comment on each of the episodes that are posted there. Uh, we also have an email. You can email us at podcast at therpgshow.com. We will look at those. If there's enough good questions, we will answer those on the show. Because keep in mind, we want to do two shows a month, but only one of those is going to be a review show. So there's going to be an off topic. Every, um, every other show is going to be an off topic when we talk about RPGs in general, uh, sort of, Everything surrounding uh, RPGs, not so much necessarily reviewing a game. So, please, if you have questions, send them to us. We'll read them on the show. We'll talk about them. It'll be a good time. If you like the show and you want to spread the word, you want to help us out, subscribe to us, rate us, review us on iTunes, tell your friends, get other people listening. Let's uh, rocket our way up that iTunes chart, get a few people listening. Now, we want to thank you for staying the whole time and listening to us ramble on about Shining Force 2. And until next time, you guys have a great night. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Goodbye, everybody.